Today's sermon is Jesus Loves Me. Jesus Loves Me. And you'll know last week's sermon was on grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. If you missed that sermon, go back. It pretty much pairs with this one as we look to preparation to share living and holy communion with our Lord Jesus Christ and the basis of that by God's grace and love we come indeed. Today's scriptures for the sermon Jesus Loves Me come from Paul's letter to the churches at Galatia, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, and then we'll also be turning to the first epistle of John, not the gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 3 and 4, some selected verses there. Let's pray together. O Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear now God's word. Paul's passionate testimony. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then to 1 John. Chapter 3, reading verses 14 through 16 with particular focus on verse 16. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's how we know. Whoever does not love abides, lives in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. Here's how we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then to chapter 4, picking up at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Jesus 
loves me. In the post-World War II years and the decade that, that bridged into the 1950s, there was a great renewal and new commitment to world mission and particularly to reaching the unreached people groups in the world following that huge, massive world war. If we could fight a war, a physical war all over the world, why couldn't we bring the gospel all over the world, including to people like some of those that Maddie was just mentioning who've never heard the gospel before. And so one of the groups that pursued that in uh, Western and Central Africa, the Sudan Interior Mission, equipped and sent new generations of missionaries, mission workers, to particularly to focus on unreached people groups in the broader region that would be called the Sudan, not simply the nation of Sudan, but the broader region of Sudan bridging over into Ethiopia, etc. Trying to reach even the smaller and weaker tribes with the gospel. In that larger process, the Sudan Interior Mission trained and equipped and sent two single young female women, American women, uh, to work with and to reach out to the Uduk people group in Sudan. Have you ever heard of the Uduk people group? I, I never had heard of them until I read a story by Brian Chapel about this. So all the credit goes to him for drawing this to my attention. But God worked through those two young women back in the 1950s to bring the majority of the Uduk people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. An awesome story. Now, now after... The women had done a couple years of work. There were disciples and growing leadership among the Uduk people. A couple of the strongest disciples became pastors through training and equipping and ended up forming and leading the young congregations of the Uduk people in Sudan. The young missionaries returned to America, were married, had children, grandchildren, worked here in the United States for years. But around the turn of this century, turn into this century, the Islamic government of the nation of Sudan was oppressing the Uduk people and most of the Christians within the nation of Sudan, prohibiting their expression of Christian religious faith, their gathering together as churches, lots of persecution, both official and unofficially ignored attacks by jihadists on the Uduk people leading eventually to a decision by 13,000 of the Uduk Christian people to leave, leave their homes, their, their generational homes, leave, leave their, their livelihoods in Sudan to leave everything and risk everything for a long march to a refugee camp in Ethiopia. They faced overwhelming persecution and trials, both during the, the, the year or so leading up to this decision for the exile, and then in the exile itself. Some of the Uduk adults and children died of starvation. Uh, several of them had been martyred in the year or so leading up to this decision. Now many more were dying from starvation and other problems. Uh, quite a few others. Uh, became disabled and had major illnesses because of what they were undergoing, starving to death, starving to death, uh, both in their last days in Sudan and on their way to Ethiopia. Nevertheless, they made it to the refugee camp, the majority of them did, um, 
After hundreds had died, nevertheless, thousands were able to be delivered to the refugee camp. And, and there they were, and word of their great courage and their great challenges reached the Sudan interior mission leadership of kind of the beginning of the 21st century. And, and these folks remembered about the Uduk people and remembered the connections, looked in their files and decided they would do something not only simply to send some provisions to these Uduk people as soon as possible, but they also had a great idea. Bring back the two mission ladies who were now retired level, their grand grandmothers, to bring them back so that the Uduk people could be encouraged by seeing them once again after 45 years. Well, the reunion happened. Uh, the two women from America were able to be flown into Ethiopia and to that reunion was filled, as I understand it, with joy and gratitude in the hearts of those beloved mission ladies as well as the impoverished Uduk brothers and sisters. Now you have to understand how poor these people were at this time. Most of their children whose hair would have naturally been black was red because of severe malnutrition. Their, their stomachs were distended. They barely had had any food. You know, they'd been living on scraps and grass and things for, for, for months. But when the two Christian mission women appeared, something amazing happened. The lead pastor of the Uduk Christians, our brothers and sisters over there in that refugee camp in Ethiopia at the time, the lead pastor came forward with a precious gift for these folks, an entire box full of fresh eggs. I mean, this is the kind of stuff they, they spread around. And you know, if you just got a bite of egg every other day, this was considered a luxury to these people. We, we take everything for granted that we have here and you know, complain about inflation and things like this. I'm talking about real life here. And, and this pastor brought forward this, in a box of, of a dozen eggs. It's the most precious gift they could give. And he presented it in love to those two former mission women. Everyone was crying and celebrating, hugging. And then the Uduk people began spontaneously led by the Holy Spirit to sing. And guess what the first song they sang in a series of songs? It was the very first song those Christian mission ladies had taught them back 45 years earlier. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me. Is that your heart, your life, your family? your purpose. Today we're talking about God's love, and I want to remind you that love at its base, both sourcing-wise, in its true essence, and etymologically, is at its core a verb, an active verb. Before we even get to talking about it, it's great to talk about the noun, you know, love, theory, and all this kind of stuff. Love is a verb, and if it's a real noun, it's going to be flowing from an active verb. 
It's one thing for somebody to say, I just love you. It's another thing for them to lay down their life for you and give you their life and give you themselves, right? I can tell you guys this, women, is this not true? You look for the action, right? I mean, it's one thing to write a card and say, I love you. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's quite a different thing to love someone. And the Bible is a story of God's active love for us and the reality that we are saved by God's active grace and love, ultimately through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we come to this reality and this celebration today of God loving us and that Jesus loves us. And I want you to understand the progression here. To begin with, Jesus loved us, okay? It happened specifically in the past and it is done. It's paid in full. Jesus loved you. Christian, do you hear me? Jesus loved you. He loved you. He loves you. He loves me. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, Jesus, if you love me now, you're definitely going to love me when you perfect my sanctification and glorify me in heaven. And the answer is, yeah, definitely. So if he loved me when I was a total sinner in rebellion against him, right? And if he loves me right now, even though saved and positionally sanctified, I'm failing all the time, right? He's definitely, you know, this is the, when we, when we talk about life and death in our church family, which is right before us right now, like over the last couple of weeks, we as Christians rejoice that we know because he loved me and because he loved, for instance, Jimmy and continue to love her up through Thursday morning, we know that he definitely will love her and will love you forever. That is the gospel. Do you know that? If you do not know that today, I'm inviting you. And Christ himself is calling you that love. That is the basis of saving faith. And that is the basis of eternal life. Um, so now I have on the notes there, and you can see that I've left you a little bit of space. I'm going to give you a moment to write this down. Uh, my challenge to you right now is, and parents definitely, if, you know, you're called to shepherd your children, so you should be rare to go on this. Write down for me in three sentences an explanation of who you are as a Christian. In other words, your Christian identity, your personal relationship with Jesus, and what it is to live the Christian life for you. What is the What's the direction of your Christian faith in life? Just do that in three simple sentences as you would right there. I've got space for you, and I'm going to just kind of call out to several of y'all, and we'll figure out, we'll vote together as a congregation about which is the best answer, okay, of the three sentences. Just blunt, simple, basic three sentences. Wait a minute, stop. Don't worry about it. Uh, you can write this down later, but I, I have already given you the answer, and it's not me giving you this is God by his word through the Apostle Paul. You just heard me read it. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. One of the most personal, passionate, powerful passages, verses in all the Bible. Three simple sentences. And it is unprecedented, even though we talk about God's love, and even though, like John refers to himself vaguely as the beloved disciple, and Jesus tells people all the time he loves them, he even loves the rich young ruler who turns away from him. Jesus looked on him in love. 
this is unprecedented in the scripture at this level and certainly un, 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 unprecedented in ancient antiquity. Nobody talks like this. But Paul does because he's on fire for the Lord. He knows Jesus and understands who he is as a Christian and what it means to be saved as a Christian and what it means to live as a Christian. So Paul says this. Here's your three sentences. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the, listen to this, the Son of God. Did you understand what I just said? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If somebody asks you, and I pray they do, and I pray you're giving them opportunities because you're different than other people, Christians, you are. If somebody starts saying, you're different, you act different at work, you act differently in the neighborhood, the way you parent your children is different, the way you interact with your spouse is different. Even when you're in a disagreement, the way you handle that is so differently. There's like some other kind of there's somebody else or some other kind of power going on here. Could you explain to me what that is? And you would say, well, the way this works is this. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm dead. Actually, Martin died. Like when I believed in Jesus, I was crucified with Jesus. Okay. And what you see, anything good you see in me, little flashes of, you know, flowering and good stuff. That's actually Jesus living in me and working through me by his Holy Spirit. And so let me tell you this, what it means to be a Christian is that Jesus is in me and I am in him and he's the son of God who loved me and will love you so much. He laid down his life, gave himself for me. And that's the kind of love that no human being, nobody, no supposed God, no one will ever give you except Jesus. Are you interested in talking more about Jesus? Because, man, it is an all-in and all-blessing. I mean, I'm in him and he's in me. I hope you can explain that to someone else. And I certainly hope, parents, you're teaching your children that. It's an all-in, all-love story. The context of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul's, you know, really upset with the fact that the church is in Galatia have so quickly, following their conversion to Christianity, have turned away, as he, as Paul terms it, from the gospel, the, the, the grace of Christ. That's the way he refers to it in chapter 1, verse 6. The grace of Christ, in other words, in Christ alone, uh, and, and that they're, they're turning to want to add on. You know, well, yeah, Jesus is our Savior, and he really was the Messiah and all that kind of stuff, but we need to get really religious now and really kind of begin to justify the fact that we are saved. And so we're going to kind of circle back around, and, you know, the Gentiles need to be not, not just baptized, but also circumcised and start following kosher law and start following. We need to follow, you know, the, the table 
uh, rules of Judaism as opposed to what you were preaching, Paul. And Paul says, how quickly? <laughs> so that's the basic context. We won't go in a lot to Galatians, but that's what's going on. And Paul is coming back and in the midst of calling them back to, he says there's one real gospel. And Paul defends his apostolic authority called directly by Jesus and his gospel as the one true gospel that is all about being totally saved and totally made right through Jesus and by faith in him alone. And Paul says, if you start adding on, you've just rejected Jesus. You cannot add anything to Jesus. Well, yeah, I follow Jesus, but also these are the other things that, no, no, no. Paul says, you've just rejected Jesus once you start trying to add yourself on and trying to achieve righteousness under, in their case, the law. Maybe for us, it'd be like fitting in with what's politically correct nowadays. You know, most of us aren't from a Judy egg background, you know, but that, so, and, then, and then Paul recounts his great conflict previously in Antioch, in Antioch with Simon Peter. And Paul says, the, 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 basically the Judaizers led Simon Peter, you know, the lead apostle astray, and, and even led Barnabas of all people, you know, the great encourager, the one who's open arms to everybody, led Barnabas astray. And Paul's recounting his conflict with Peter and the way I read, uh, you know, these, these, when you get up to 220, you're still really either hearing what what Paul said to Peter at the time, it's, it's obvious earlier that this is what you're reading. This is, this is basically Paul's response to Peter and to the world. And it, it reaches this incredible mountaintop in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's, let's take a few moments to unpack this verse as it applies and as we prepare to move to the table. First of all, uh, I'm going to take it in reverse order in the verse because I'm going chronologically and causally through what Paul is saying and what I'm inviting you to embrace. If you don't memorize another verse over the next month, memorize Galatians 2.20. If you want a description of what it is to be an actually actually to be a Christian and to be saved and understanding your salvation, what it means to live in a sanctifying life. This is it, Galatians 2.20. Okay, so taking it in reverse order though, with the prepositions as just connection points here. So you can see in the notes, I have the, the prepositions really big for you. Number one, for. For. Jesus for you. Jesus for for you. He's on your side and not just on your side. He gives himself for you. He gave himself for me. He loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that? Um, the son of God loved me, gave himself for me. And, and if you can hear that loved and um, gave, you know, you're hearing the two verbs on the great evangelical invitation uh, verse of the New Testament, which is John three sixteen. So this is the great verse about actually being a Christian once you are saved, okay, and how you understand how you were saved. The 316, for God so loved the world, loved, did you hear that? And it's past tense, okay, did you hear that? That he gave, it's past tense. Here also, past tense. I want to draw your attention to that. Here you're talking in the Greek, it happens to be what's called the aorist. Uh, that means it's a decisive, definitive action that has been done historically. It's done. He loved me. He gave himself for me. It's done. I don't need to question whether he will do it. It is a done deal. He has done it, paid in full. That's what Paul just said. 
who loved me. For, and for, by the way, the Father, for God so loved, it's done. It happened that he gave. And then John, over in 1 John chapter 4, says this. In this is love, not that we have loved God. In other words, we didn't do anything to set this up. And by the way, on the other side of this, we're not going to come back and justify this and say, well, God is... Um, omniscient, so I guess he could figure out that I was going to be such a good boy over here, so that's why he loved me. No, no, no. No, no. The Bible is really clear on this. In this is love, not that we have loved God. I mean, we never did, never, never loved God to warrant this and never will love him at the level to warrant this, but that he loved us. It happened and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sin. So for and it has happened. Jesus for you. Jesus is for you, and he's already been for you. It's already happened. He loved you and gave himself for you. Number two, with. Crucified with Christ. In the Greek, this is one really long word, okay? It's one really long word that opens with the soon, sunestomai. Okay, so, so uh, anyway, this means it's happened. And here's the thing that's happened. I have been crucified with Christ. That same term is used in Matthew and Luke for the guys who are crucified with Jesus on his right and his left. And Paul's saying, I've been crucified with him. Was Paul there on Golgotha, up on a cross? No. But wait, yes. Are you a Christian? If you are a Christian, you know, you receive and you trust in the fact that you've been crucified with Christ. If you're going to come to this table and say you remember him, you better know you've been crucified with him. The old you's dead. And let me ask you this. How was it? I know you remember this a lot. You probably think about this in your daily life in your devotions, in your repentance. How was it when everyone turned against you and you along with Jesus were stripped of your outer clothing, scourged, jeered at by the Roman soldiers and the crowd? You remember that? Man, that'll totally change your life, right? Like you're never gonna be the same person. After you were, your hands, your wrists were nailed and your feet were nailed, and they foisted you up on that cross right next to Jesus, you can't forget that, can you? And when the soldiers were taking lots to divide your clothing, and you're dying with Jesus? Man, if you've died, I mean, if you're a Christian, that is the transformative moment of your life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. He, the one I was crucified with, he lives in me because he's the risen son of God. This is what the Bible says. Romans chapter six says, anyone who has been baptized into Jesus has been baptized into his death and has been buried with him. And with him is also good news, raised. 
to life with him. Which brings us to number three, in. So, with him, flowing from the fact that he gave himself for me. And then number three, in. Christ lives in me. And you can see there's two of these now. Christ lives in me and I live in him. By faith in him. In him. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is called, theologically, this is called union with Christ. This is the basis for Christian faith. This is what John Calvin basically circles his whole theology around union with Christ. This is what we are talking about when we come to this table today. Union with Christ. You know the most common way to describe, by far the most common way in the New Testament to describe Christians? Do you know? Around 170 plus times. To be a Christian is to be in Christ, in Jesus, in him, in whom. They, they all mean the same thing. To be in Jesus. And, and by the way, to be saved is to believe in Jesus, which literally, in most cases, the ace is going to into him. To believe into him so that I become one with him. This is, this is, in other words, you have no identity apart from him, but you have full identity in him. Union with Christ. And then on the other side of this, of course, Christ in us. No longer I who live, but he lives in me. And the, one of the more powerful statements of this part of the union in the New Testament is Colossians 1.27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This is the mystery of the world right now until Jesus comes again. You want to hear what it is? Listen to this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The most amazing thing in the world right now is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And because he lives in you, the pointer is already made to his return and his reign forever, the new creation. It's going on in you, Christian. And if you're here today and you say, I, I'm kind of not, I'm really not that much into this. I just kind of like the idea of theoretically sometimes having a little bit of faith. This is not a little bit of faith. This is a life. This is a marriage. This is a birth. This is a death. This is a new life forever. Come to him. He is inviting you all in. He will be all in for you. And then finally, just notice that if we are going to love Jesus and be in his love, we will be active in loving the brothers and the sisters. Okay? We'll be active in church, obviously. We'll be here regularly for worship, for supporting each other, for praying for each other. And we will be active even to the point of laying down our lives. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know this, right? I mean, a real friend, a real mother or father, a real husband or wife will totally take the bullet for, some, for someone they love. You know this, right? This is the kind of love we're called to in the scripture for one another. 
Um, I was interested by the Udux story, so I included that. And then I noticed, and, and just keeping up with the news, about a week and a half ago, in South Sudan, which is supposed to be the Christian-friendly part, you know, the partition part of Sudan now, it broke off about 11 years ago. About a week and a half ago, 28 Christians were murdered and 57 Christian houses were destroyed by a jihadist attack in South Sudan because the jihadists are trying to take over South Sudan, which was supposed to be a safe haven for the Christians now. This is not in our news because it's not good clickbait, you know, for the kind of stuff we get all riled up about. But I'm telling you, Christian, Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. And by his word, he's calling you and me to love these folks and to pray for them and to care about them. And to remember when we come to his table, we are coming for him, with him, and in him. And we're coming with those folks in Sudan, with them, for them, and in them. To God alone be the glory now and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.